So we had about anywhere from 60 to 100 rabbits, depending on uh, who was kindling and uh, and stuff like that in that barn. We never ran those on pasture. Uh, we just kind of ran those in cages inside. Did you so. say 60 to 100? Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. insane. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I and then I used to have, you know, anywhere from a couple hundred to 500 uh, quail in my garage and uh, 40 to 60 meat birds, corners crossed out on pasture, 100 layers, um, dozen or two turkeys on pasture. Yeah. <laughs> This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRosier. I'm joined today by Brian with the Lots Project, homesteader, soon to be full-time RVer and podcaster. He and his wife, Corey, are shutting down their homestead in Minnesota and moving to an off-grid RV in search of a better climate in more ways than one. A few possible business ideas are also in the works. That's pretty cool. I want, maybe we'll get to explore that. So how you doing, Brian? Oh, not bad, not bad. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. Uh, so, uh, it's hard to ask somebody uh, questions when they have their own freaking podcast and they can explain <laughs> it like, uh, like, oh yeah, just uh, go listen to my podcast and we'll find out everything you need to know. <laughs> like, well, crap. Uh, anyways, but I guess now we'll have a condensed version. Yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, Beginning I have no problem end. answering questions. That's uh, there's plenty of episodes of my podcast, and there's plenty more to go. So uh, yeah, putting information out there is no problem. So, how did you get started homesteading? Oh, um, well, we were in the suburbs of Minneapolis, uh, kind of inner ring suburbs, probably nine years ago. So this was long before any of the inner ring suburbs. <laughs> well, yeah, like, you know, we were uh, maybe 10 minutes from downtown Minneapolis, 15 oh, minutes. Oh, sure. Like the, you, you're talking about the 694, 494 loop. I get Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We were. So we were in Crystal right on uh, like okay. 100 142nd um so right there right there close um the other side of 100 so we were like five blocks from there the other side was pretty rough neighborhood and going downhill our neighborhood was kind of going downhill um and i just kind of wanted it out of the city and uh, it was kind of in the heyday of doomsday preppers and all that and that was kind of like a, a it wasn't a, a driving motivator, but it was kind of a, yeah, this is kind of a little far-fetched, but there's some legit shit to it. There's some, there's mm -hmm. some, uh, there's some things to take away from it, but not go whole hog into it. So we, we decided we wanted to move out away from, from people being on top of each other. And we figured it was going to spread. Um, so we wanted to go way out and buy a decent sized property. And we figured the only way to do that was kind of support ourselves a little bit. And that's kind of what we looked for. We found a, found an old farm and, uh, and started, started it back up. It was a old had been a bunch of different things. And so we, um, kind of transformed it into a little homestead with a bunch of different ventures on it. And, uh, yeah, did all sorts of stuff. So that's kind of how we got started. Nice. Uh, so you were there for eight years. Yeah, around that. Okay, nice. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah. And now you're now you're packing it up. You're kind of is it is it kind of sad or you're like nah, forget this. I'm I'm ready to move on. I don't know. I like I walk around now and I see the things and remember the things I did and shut down and changed and all the stuff I learned and um, yeah, it's kind of like sentimental and whatever. But man, it's freaking cold in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> I just think about that and. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the tipping point for us was realizing that we do this, uh, we do this, try to do this whole thing in four months a year, like try to do, yeah. um, sustain ourselves and and make enough product to sell people and make a living for 12 months on four months of growing season or five months of growing season. And it's just the energy and the, and everything that goes into the animals and the, and the growing and it, yeah, it's we are like, we're looking at zone six, seven ish, uh, where we kind of want to land in the end. And it's a hundred more days a year growing season. A wow. hundred. That's, that's a third of a year more that you have an opportunity to produce things to support yourself with, or to sell or barter to help support yourself with. It's like, that's, right. that's ridiculous. I'm in a three B cause I'm in a little, microclimate by the lake and like we're colder than we're colder than the people that are north of us and <laughs> it it's just it's ridiculous and it is what it is i've been in minnesota for 20 years i i get it it's not like it's not like i can't handle the cold it's just freaking harder to do everything <laughs> yeah i was um talking to some friends a while back about like climate change right and i'm like okay so like if you if you take like this if you look at the theory of like solar minimum, grand solar minimum, maximum, that whole thing. And if the, we start to shift to like shorter years, like growing, right. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of butchering this, but you, you kind of can pick up what I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm trying to say here, if it shifts and I, I right now I've got like 120 ish, like growing days where mm -hmm. I'm at. If it shifts and all of a sudden I only have like 90, well, there's a quarter of my growing season that just yeah. like you know, cut off the back end, cut off the front end. And like, that's all you get. You know, that's all of a sudden I'm trying to produce the same amount of food with a uh, three quarters of the time. Like that. Yeah. I'm seeing estimates of like a two zone shift, like a two USDA Whoa. zone shift. So like if we, if we end up in zone seven in the next few years, it'll be like living in a zone five, as far as like average winter temps and growing period. It's, it's kind of almost back to where that, you were. Yeah. That's what like, we're, all, we're <laughs> willing to go a little further South on the, on sure. the venture that it's going to be shifting colder. Like, I don't think it's going to be getting hotter by any means. So just by experiencing what it's been here over the last 20 years and watching just like, I don't buy into all the bullshit and, and all the, um, all the crazies online, but I've, I've experienced what it's been. Like I work outside I have a homestead, like I experience the weather all year round and I've watched the shift. I've watched the shift in length of the cold, the how, how it comes on. Like it's, it's way more sudden over the last few years or the, or the last decade really, um, where it isn't, there isn't like a fall anymore. It's like hot, cold, done, nothing. And then in the spring, it's the same thing. It just switches. 
and sure. uh, where it used to be there used to be a fall season <laughs> like where it was a slow transition yeah instead of uh man all of a sudden i feel like i gotta put on pants today like instead <laughs> like i was just like shorts and just like what this is freezing like or you know it was like 70 degrees outside and you're like what the heck the chicken's water froze like yeah. this is weird well that was that was our 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 my turning moment was uh we were out uh, we had pasture raised turkeys we were moving in uh in john siskovich style tractors out in the out in our field and it was the end of october so i was still a month out from thanksgiving and i was trying to get my turkeys to my customers like the week before i was going to process them on site and and sell them if they wanted them fresh i wanted to be able to keep them fresh for thanksgiving this was like the third week October, fourth week October, and I had him way out in the back of the field, and we got like 14 inches of snow. And it was like, it was a freak thing. It, it kind of dove off in temperature. We got this huge snowstorm, and it built up all around my, my tractor. And then the next day, it was like 45, 50, but my tractor was still impacted in the snow, and I couldn't move it. So I had like... 10 turkeys in this tractor that were close to adults. Like I was moving them twice a day. And nice. like, so now they're stuck there for like four days and I'm having to put like pine chips in there and, and feed them extra because they're not getting the grass. Now all the grass is dead because the snow melt and it just choked everything out. I'm like, this is stupid. It's, it's October. <laughs> like I can't even raise turkeys on pasture to the end of November to give customers. Like I have to worry about them being impacted in snow in the middle to end of October. Yeah. I gotta go somewhere else. <laughs> Those damn turkeys. Well, yeah, but then the whole <laughs> garden, like who's got their garden put to bed by the third week of October? Like right. but everything was just plastered in snow and done. Like there was done no prepping it. There Snow's was no an insulator. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there was just no like there was no prepping, putting everything to bed just because you were still working on the summer shit and hadn't finished everything up. So how are you preparing for winter? And it's, it's just this cycle that, yeah, I'm done with it. Like I need more time. Like I'm getting older. I need to slow down and I need more time to produce the same <laughs> amount. <laughs> so <clears throat> what motivates you to grow your own food? uh not having to put a mask on for the last <laughs> two and a half years i mean i didn't go to the grocery store like i had all my own stuff i had all my own meat i had all my own vegetables um mostly greens like i'm paleo keto ish um whole food one ingredient food so i had a vertical hydroponic system in my kitchen that i had more greens and microgreens than i could ever ever eat between Corey and i and then, uh, yeah, like five deep freezers full of meat and more produced every day. Like I didn't, I could have called anything any day and had more if I needed it, but I was so stocked up and, uh, yeah, I just didn't go to the store. Like, I don't want to put a mask on, so I'm not going to go to the store where they're requiring me to put a mask on. I'm just going to go to my freezer. And that yeah, was nice. <laughs> So you're your that's, own that's, grocery store so it's not so much the mask i mean the mask sucks but you're just like i don't have to right straight up don't but that, have that's to. just an example like what else yeah. like oh i lost my job well at least i don't have to go to the grocery store oh prices are up 200 percent. wow 
great. <laughs> yeah. Still don't still don't have to go. Yeah. 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 yeah that makes so sense. that's 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 a big change, like shutting that down. And it's been so we started this to to transition and decided to leave before any of this started. Like it's been it's been two and a half years, um, the whole process of shutting down the farm and getting the trailer and converting the trailer and kind of planning this out. And we've taken our time and done our research. And yeah, so we we've kind of done it all through all the scary shit. And we're like, man, like, is it right? Is this what we should do? So yeah, there's a lot of contingency planning going on and uh, now like fuel costs and everything. So yeah, it's uh it's it's ever evolving uh project for sure. Yeah, that uh the fuel prices for sure are just like Yeah. <laughs> are we gonna have to stay in one one spot? Like, you know, and you're you're looking for your spot where you know we're trying to, you know, just go everywhere. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, are we gonna have to stay in like a general area for like longer durations than planned kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. We're... And uh yeah we're thinking about possibly just buying buying a home base and kind of um possibly transitioning it into a hip camp uh that we can stay at obviously because it's mine i own it uh but kind of do it in a permaculture-esque aspect where if we want to come back there and or we never leave there that we're building towards something long-term, but if we we're going to do it in a way that if we want, if fuel prices come down or we figure out a way to fund fuel prices that we can take off, but still make income on that by renting it while we're gone. And then if that's the one that we end up wanting to stay at long-term, it's already prepped to start to build a forever spot. So it's kind of like a holding platform. Like I'm wondering, like we're getting ready to sell here uh pretty quick hopefully i i'm just like that's i said i had like 14 things going on today one of them i mean a bunch of them have to do with getting us back in the the camper because we had to winterize it and uh yeah our last frost date was on friday so like i couldn't i couldn't really get my lithium batteries back in there and uh heat the camper just to heat the camper when i'm still heating the house because it's still freaking cold here sure yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. As soon as we get into the camper, we can pack the truck, and we're just like gonna pack out to where we're leaving. Um, then everything else here is for sale, like everything, the house, the property, anything you want to buy, come make an offer, and uh, yeah, you'll probably get it. So that's uh, that's kind of the plan. But we we're going down to self self reliance festival here in a couple of weeks, so more than likely we're gonna to have to come back so that's gonna be a spendy trip that we'll have yeah, to recover, that's, that we'll have to recover from <laughs> so we'll see that, we'll see that kind of sucks uh so on your property what kind of like like methods or techniques or uh practices are you using like do you have like swales do you have um, oh. oh man um uh, all sorts uh we as far as gardening we did uh, a bunch of raised beds uh tried a little bit of hugaculture we did some container gardening we did uh, hydroponics we never got into aquaponics it's really tough in minnesota because it gets so cold in the winter um, but we did um 
like we tried all the different gimmicky uh, potato towers and stuff like that and uh, uh yeah we did we we've kind of transitioned most mostly into perennials uh perennial stuff and then uh, uh herbals like i i have a pretty decent sized comfrey business that i that I'm kind of leaving to the next owner to, to develop. And uh, so, yeah, all sorts of different techniques like that. Uh, the raised beds are kind of tar- uh, terraced into a hill because I was stupid. Oh, nice. That's cool. And, well, yeah, it looks really cool and it was a great concept, but it was the totally wrong place for a garden. So oh, shoot. I saw why the, is that? Well, well sorry, let, let me get to that in just a second. Put it, <laughs> let's put a pin in that. Keep going. Yeah. Um, so there's those, um, yeah, we didn't know what we were doing when we got here, but we've learned a lot going through it um, and a lot of different techniques and different things that we've learned. So, yeah, we were I was more focused on um, meat production. Okay, I would have to say than than the sure. gardening. We really we thought we were going to come up and uh, have have a big market garden and, and realize that meat was much more profitable and really scaled back and did things just for ourselves uh, on the on the produce side. Gotcha. I gotcha. So you would like, did, did you ever do rabbits? Did I hear oh, yeah. you ever? Okay. So yeah. <laughs> did you like have like run rabbits in front and chickens behind them or anything like that? Um, um, no, all our rabbits were in a barn. We have a, so the property set up, we got a big old farmhouse and then a detached garage. And then we have a old, um, it's like a, oh, let's see. 40 by 80 uh it's it's the base of an old barn so like the concrete foundation of an old barn and then they put a new top on it when the barn fell down they just put trusses and a roof on it um and then we have a whole chicken uh metal shed with uh, two outside runs so we did uh we had about anywhere from 60 to 100 rabbits depending on uh who was kindling and uh, and stuff like that in that barn we never ran those on pasture uh we just kind of ran those in cages inside did you so. say 60 to 100 yeah holy crap yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <insane. laughs> yeah i mean i and then i used to have you know anywhere from a couple hundred to 500 uh quail in my garage and uh 40 to 60 meat birds corner cross cross out on pasture 100 layers um dozen or two turkeys on pasture yeah (laughs) no dude you uh i suppose if you gotta cram everything in in your growing season that includes animals as well because uh i mean otherwise you're just just killing yourself trying to keep them from freezing to death in the winter yeah, and then I and I work sixty hours a week too with that. So no big deal. <laughs> who needs who, who needs to sleep? I mean, we would so in the winter. So we would ramp up like the rabbits we did for I think three years. So in the winters we would and and this all built up like that was our peak was sixty to a hundred. Uh, we started with like a breeding trio and then shortly after got another breeding trio of different types and then grew it out of that. Like I was doing breeding programs and building genetics and different in different breeds or uh, different rabbits and breeders and we were uh, selectively breeding and keeping out of litter and and. Uh, building our own lines so 
then we just kind of were like, man, this is more than we wanted to do. Like we wanted to, I was selling into the raw pet food market, mostly with my meat and okay. my sales. Um, Specifically rabbit meat? All of it. All, all of it. Of it. Okay. I sold, so like I sold rabbit, I sold quail into the raw pet food and uh, like uh, lizard and uh, snake uh, food on the quail mostly and a little bit on the rabbits, uh, baby rabbits. Like I would call kits for people if that's what they wanted anywhere from anywhere from day old to full grown, however big they wanted them, they could order them from me and hmm. then quail the same way. Like I would do day old quail. I would euthanize them with, um, uh, CO or uh, CO2, CO, CO, whatever in a, in a chamber. Um, I had just get a tank, get it refilled, um, and gas them out at any age. So they looked live for the snake but they were frozen like i didn't mm. cut their heads off they, they were a whole bird like because normally when i would call my quail i'd snip their heads off but some of these guys wanted birds that looked alive like were a whole bird so i had to figure out how to call them and keep them whole so like yeah i did a bunch of research and i designed my own like death chamber <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of messed up yeah like i did tinkered around with all that shit like uh, i was hatching quail like i was hatching between 150 and 250 quail a week and selling those as babies or um hatching eggs and like yeah I had hey, a whole dude. oh yeah it was uh yeah i had a sportsman one of those big sportsman cabinet incubators that ran full for i think it was let's see so that'd be 20 about 30 months straight like wow full. i didn't realize you had like the scale of your operation it because like it kind of comes off you're just like oh yeah you know i dabbled in this dabbled in that and dabbled in this dabbled in that and i'm just like <laughs> oh yeah okay but i didn't realize it was like no it was like a lot of like the quantity wise it was a lot of this thing and also 12 other things all at the same time like yeah 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 we 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 went for it like we, I, obviously we yeah we had a five-year we had kind of a five-year plan we we're gonna evaluate um we did we evaluated after four years and we were kind of uh, narrowing down what so we want to just try everything like we wanted to learn how to do everything. Uh, we didn't quite get to pigs uh, was the one thing that we wanted to do that we didn't hear um, and possibly uh, some sort of beef cow, milk cow. Like we don't drink milk. So um, mm. that's not a big deal. We thought about goats. We didn't do that, but we wanted to run everything. We wanted to know how to be able to run meat chickens and have them for ourselves or be able to sell them if we wanted to do that. We wanted to be able to do the same with turkeys and rabbits and quail and have it layer hens and run a laying operation and know how to do uh, all the book work um, as far as figuring out egg costs and feed costs and all that. So we ran this operation up to a point where uh, we couldn't just do it anymore. Like we had to go full time. We pushed everything to the brink of uh if it was to go any bigger it was going to have to be a full-time venture like it was going to have to support itself and then we would back yeah. it down to production levels for ourselves so we would go balls out build it go balls out and then scale it back to what we wanted for us if mm -hmm. we wanted to keep it going at all 
So we were up to like a hundred laying hens and now we're back down to like a dozen free range that are like Jeez. that's just our eggs because we're not selling any anymore. Right, right. So, but we learned how to do it. And when we stop again, we're hoping to just get to those levels to do it for us. And then whatever ways we figure out to support ourselves for what we can't provide ourselves, then if that has to be selling rabbits or, you know, breeding quail or selling hatching eggs, or if it's something totally different, like a skill service or online business or whatever it is, we still want to provide all that stuff for ourselves and use those skills we learned here. Well, and that makes new, a lot of sense. And new ones. There's, there's like other shit I want to try too that just will be a way easier in a warmer climate. Yeah, especially, especially attitude. Just like, instead of just like, I'm tired of the free. <laughs> like this sucks, you know. I mean that that that's got to speak for something too. So. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. There is, there's, there's definitely some shit to be said about uh, seasonal depression disorder, like or seasonal whatever it's called sad or what whatever in the middle of the winter i get it here like you just don't do anything because there's no sun it's fucking cold <laughs> excuse excuse me for the, that's all right that there but uh yeah it, it's uh and you just get depressed like the sun will come out for a day and you go outside and you're like oh my god i feel completely different i i feel so much better and then the next day it's just cloudy for months on end what have you tried that worked well on the farm yeah oh man all sorts of stuff i love pastured chickens i love the john siskovich model chicken tractors um i did a little bit of modifications on those for the water uh, i ended up hanging hanging a five gallon bucket on the back and running tubing inside and had like auto waters instead of having the uh hanging uh, drip nipples inside because I'm six five and getting in those tractors with a five gallon bucket and filling that it was just easier to walk around the back and dump it in and have an auto feed uh, sure. inside. Uh, but other than that, those tractors were great. I loved them. Uh, built ended up building two or three more after I built the first one. That was great. Um, we had success with. Uh, uh, container gardening in like five gallon buckets for peppers and tomato plants. Uh, and then uh, uh, 55 gallon drums cut in half. We uh, oh. using those using those uh, for different uh, planting. And then uh, it's, it's just kind of easier to weed. It's uh, you can build whatever soil structure you want. You can use your compost, you can use whatever in a smaller amount, like you're not building a whole system. And then you can also, if it goes bad or whatever, you get some crap seed in there. You can just dump it out and start again. Uh, then that's what we were kind of going to for our production produce was more of a container. We can bring it in and out of the garage if we get an early frost because that shit likes to happen here. Um, we can actually pick it up, put it in a cart and bring it into the garage to protect it or... Uh, so it's just like stealth, stealth shit like that. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, uh, man, what worked well? I think it all worked well. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, I yeah, we just made tons of money over the last eight years. Like, you know, no, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Everything, everything went right back into the farm. Like trying the new adventure, trying the new venture, and and uh, and trying different uh, techniques and building different things. And 
yeah, I, I would try anything. So um, I would not say that we made a ton of money by any means. We were still doing, we were still working our jobs and uh, yeah, we were just expanding and trying different shit, learning everything we could and seeing what, what stuck the comfrey business, the comfrey business. Yeah. That was the most successful thing I did. And uh, that will probably be another venture I'll do again, especially with a longer growing season. Uh, yeah, I did great with it. Like I still am. Like I'm just doing it till I leave, and uh, sure. hopefully, hopefully, the person that takes this place over realizes that they have. I mean, like right now, I don't even push it, and I'm I'm in that a couple hundred bucks a week range, like all Dude, last good year. For you. From, That's awesome. From the first week I could dig last year till the till the last till till it froze every week, I was making a couple hundred bucks, um, just digging comfrey root. <laughs> it was like I'd go out, I'd you know, spend an hour on Sunday it shipped once a week. I didn't, I didn't try to make a ton of money. It was just like on Etsy. I didn't advertise it. And yeah, it was nice and could have made it bigger, but it was, and we knew we were, we knew we were winding down. It was just kind of seed, seed money for paying for some of the camper stuff. And yeah. And all that is, is all it is at the moment. But uh, if I was staying here, yeah, it's, that's a, that's a full-time income if you if you really wanted to make it one. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Whoever whoever buys your place would be like, if you dig this up or let it die, you're stupid. Cause <laughs> you can't. I got I got probably 200 plants right now. So <laughs> that's that. Uh, I mean, it's this tough. Right It'd be tough to kill it. Uh I actually want to talk to you about comfrey after the show. Uh yeah, sure. So so let's go back. What have you tried that failed or didn't work well? Let's talk about your raised beds. Oh yeah, um, you know, no, I north, don't really want to talk north, about that. <laughs> north north facing slope on a probably a oh what it's a pretty significant slope. Um, I had this vision when we moved in that this would be an awesome place for terraced raised beds, uh, four by eight. Uh, what are they 14 inches deep 18 inches deep something like that uh terraced into the hills we have 16 of them i put them rows and plotted them all out and uh yeah it's a north facing slope and it's why would i want to walk up and down that fucking hill just to do gardening and oh man it's it's just the complete wrong place uh and it was a ton of work and a ton of time and a ton of money. And then we ended up gardening somewhere else anyway. So that turned into like, <laughs> that turned into like perennials. I got a lot of a garlic up in them and a rhubarb. Like we ended up starting rhubarb from seed and asparagus from seed. So I have like uh, seven year old established rhubarb plants that we started from seed in those beds. And then uh, asparagus that's, you know, six, seven years old that we started from seed. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's what's that's what we were going to go to there. And then, like I said, we were doing our our produce because we weren't really selling any of it anymore. We sold a lot of cherry tomatoes, like a ton of cherry tomatoes was like our thing when um, Corey worked in the cities. So she'd go down there. I think she worked part time uh, from home and part time from the city. So she'd go in like two or three days a week. And she would take eggs and cherry tomatoes in season and sell them to all our coworkers at the hospital, like sell out. Like she could take as much as she could to carry down and like sell out at, at city prices. Well, then she started working full time from home 
and no one around here is going to pay six dollars mm-hmm. a dozen for eggs or uh you know whatever we wanted to charge for tomatoes so that's when a two that we decided to start scaling back but that was after we had already decided to leave so it was it made sense just to start calling everything out right yeah i mean uh that kind of sucks that she you guys lost that easy easy sale you know? Yeah, but it was almost like the sales were just paying for her gas money to go down there because it's 90 so miles. Wash, sure. That's an hour and a half and 90 miles one way. So Makes the sense. gas, the time, all that. And yeah, you sold the product, but like how much are you really making? <laughs> At like, you know, $6 a dozen, but we fed, we've, we fed uh, no corn, no soy, transitional organic. Um, everything was, uh, yeah, high-end feed and pasture raised. Like we we made the product what we wanted to eat. And sure. that was the reason we were doing it. So we knew what was in our food. Um, so by that byproduct, that's that's the product we produced to sell was what what we wanted to eat and the healthiest meat we could. So yeah. Let's <laughs> so let's preview. talk about that for uh one of my notes that we um we, we actually came up from when I got interviewed on your show was why do you do no corn or no soy chicken feed? Um, the soy, uh, the, the soy is all the phytoestrogens. Um, and, uh, I'm a non soy person. Like, like I don't, I, I see, I see the soy replacement for protein and the, and the, like, I can't go out and eat a soybean like it's it's toxic <laughs> like you have to cook sure. it you have to process it uh so that's not something i'm into uh and the corn like i just i just want to get it out of there it's it's a processed gmo product and it's who knows what it is like it was just easier to go no corn and no soy the soy definitely for the egg layers because it concentrates the phytoestrogens in the egg of the bird which is the egg you're eating so i don't need any more estrogen like and Corey's fine like she's woman enough even though she's <laughs> she is definitely all woman and uh so we don't need to mess with that that um uh, chemistry in our bodies and sure. so we eat a ton of eggs because that's part of being keto-ish, paleo-ish, and the fact that we yeah. have them here. Uh, so we just try to keep that out of our diet. And so we found a great source for it at a reasonably priced uh, feed. And so that's what we that we, we kind of transitioned to that. And then we just went that way with all our birds. And we found it uh, the the meat tasted better. Uh, the, the birds seemed healthier cause, uh, like we did that with our pasture chickens and turkeys. Uh, they were smaller. We did have to raise them a little longer and they had smaller birds, but obviously just cause they're not packing on crap weight from crap food. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that was kind of that reasoning. Sure. I just, um, I've heard the no soy before. I just didn't. I haven't heard the no corn before. Corn. I just saw the corn as a filler. It was. It was sure. just a filler. So um, if they could get more nutrients and uh, and and their nutrition from actually filling 
like it wasn't just a filler in the food to make up the protein. So we would add different seeds gotcha. and stuff like that through the custom mix of the processor. Sure. Just wanted to make sure that that got that got covered. I was like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a little goofy. I mean, the soy the soy is the bigger the bigger issue, and right. the corn. I just that that started with the meat birds, and then we just continued to do it with the layers. The meat birds, we didn't want them packing on, packing packing changing the 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 flavor of the meat with the corn. We wanted okay. it more grass and then the seed and then it just right. kind of trans transitioned into the eggs also or the layers also gotcha i can take a guess but i want to hear your answer what's been the biggest challenge in farming or homesteading you faced uh customers oh you surprised <laughs> no me. no it's the, it like, was seriously? It was um yeah being well yeah, the weather is, yeah, that's just the no-brainer, but I would have to say uh, proximity to markets, proximity oh. to customers that are willing to pay the prices that for the product that I'm raising. That's a good um, answer. I do have, I have a friend that's down the road that he does uh, pastured pork, uh, pork and beef and turkey, uh, and he's very successful with it, but he does it full-time, so he travels every day of the week in the summer going to markets that are, you know, 90 miles away or 70 miles away one way. And he's got time to do it. And he has a customer base that's at those markets that which kind of transitions to on farm, but like, I just didn't have time to raise the product, work full time, drive to and spend time at markets and everything. So yeah, proximity to um, a clientele that's willing to pay what, I need to make it work. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty tough that, you know, I, I live where I want to live, but where I need to sell my stuff, people don't live near me. So it's like a catch 22. It's, uh, it kind of, it's tough. Just, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. picking your spot, you're like, this is perfect. This is paradise. Oh crap! I have to drive so far to sell my product to yuppies for yeah. That, that'll be willing to pay the price. We're transitioning our view of why we're doing what we're doing is to provide for ourselves, and we have to come up with a different way to provide the income for the the rest of where we fall short. So, right instead of we know we're going to have uh to make a premium product for ourselves that's our standard for ourselves uh so so unless i'm close to a group of people that want to buy it from me and it will be a very small group because i'm not gonna like do what i did before um then i'll have all that i can produce for myself and the, the shortcomings or the things that i can't produce for myself the fuel and and whatever uh then I need to come up with a different revenue model to get that, whether that's, yeah. um, you know, doing side work as a handyman or consulting with people or whatever that is. Um, I got a few different things that I'm willing to try anything. Like that's, that's who I am. I'm like the serial entrepreneur idea guy that just looks at shit. And this is how I'm going to make money with this. This is how I'm going to monetize this. This is how I'm going to try, like try to monetize this. And, um, yeah, so that's just kind of what I do. And something will stick eventually. Something or a bunch of little things add up to a lot is is also my theory. Like if I have a bunch of little streams all coming together, all of a sudden it's significant. 
let's let's travel down that road for a second. Um, what kind of money making ideas do you have when you guys are traveling? Like, because you're gonna do your so I I kind of screwed up the intro. <laughs> Lost Project stands for living outside the system, and you guys yep. are traveling in an RV for at least a year, is what it sounds like, before you throw down roots and uh, and find your find your place. So over the over the year, are do you have some um do you have some money making ideas for the first year, like while you're traveling? Um, yeah, well, and yeah, that, so that was the, that was the original plan is, is a minimum of a year, um, with everything kind of going sideways. I kind of mentioned before that we might stop and buy that first property. Well, one of the, one of the things that has come out of exploring this. So we took our, we took our time doing it. Like we knew, we knew it was going to be a while before I could completely renovate an RV. So it was like I installed a solar system and a wood stove and a toilet and, and all sorts of different stuff that um, that was going to take a while. Uh, so during that time, we kind of started building different revenue models and Corey might, might be able to continue to work for her job because she works hundred percent remotely right now. Uh, so they're just kind of working out the details of she can do that without mm. a permanent address or how that all plays out. We're not sure, but yeah, with the advent of COVID and all that stuff and the work from home, there's a lot more remote work opportunities, um, online, fully remote. And we've installed, um, pretty decent internet in the, in the trailer. So that's one, one revenue model that we're going to do. But if we do just buy a property to start and kind of hold off while fuel prices bounce around, um, we might be able to just pull that off anyway or work locally. We're hoping to be able to use some of the money from our, from the sale of our home to kind of ease that transition. And uh, yeah, so yeah, it's all in the air right now. It, it, it depends on how much it costs really. Yeah. Um, and with fuel prices through the roof, uh, we might, we might just slow down on the traveling to start and, and kind of feel it out and see where it goes. So yeah, we're all up in the air. We're very flexible with what we're doing. And um, we would really like to take off and go on the road. But uh, if it's going to cost me, you know, two grand to move, <laughs> uh, we don't get the greatest fuel mileage uh, with uh, with the truck and the all everything we own pulled behind right. it. Because it's, uh, it's kind of pushing the weight limits of our, uh, we stay below uh, the weight ratings of everything, but it's uh, definitely on the top end of that and burning fuel pretty, pretty quick. Yeah. Are you, <clears throat> are you looking for raw land or place with a house on it or just raw? No, land? we're, we're going to looking for raw land um, and not even necessarily any utilities. Uh, we want water. Uh, whether that's a, a pond or a creek or a well that's there or a spring, whatever it is, some water source. Um, but yeah, power doesn't really bother me because I've outfitted my camper to like, that was the nice part. We, we built a camper to boondock and, and use BLM land and all that. And right. uh, so we don't need any of that. If we buy a property, we can just pull the camper onto it and I can cut some trees out of the way. And as long as we get sun, um, we have water. We figured out different ways to do water uh, with the camper and we have a 
tank and our truck so we can go get water and transfer water with the truck without moving the camper. So nice. It, we can find it, but I would much rather just do it on the property. <laughs> so, right. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's what we're looking for is raw land. And then uh, we're thinking we want to do alternative living. Uh, we don't really want a house. Uh, we moved into the camper and realized we don't need that much space. We were kind of, we've looked at yurts and like earth contact structure and different things. And just to be more um, in nature, we're kind of trying to get out of what this whole society has, uh, has conditioned everybody to do and go back to listening to nature and our bodies and sure. um, yeah, just living with live living with what's around us, not like fighting against it. I was going to say you'd be quite the hypocrite to be uh, building a conventional home when your whole thing is living outside the system. Like, yeah. this guy's a phony. <laughs> this guy's yeah, fake. well, yeah. <laughs> that was the original plan was uh, this all kicked off is when we, when we decided to leave, we decided we wanted to um, go live in a yurt in the mountains in Idaho, like in the banana belt there. And um, yeah, once we realized that we were going to have to have some place to live while we built the yurt and we were like, well, how are we going to get there and what are we going to do? And we decided, oh, well, we'll get an RV. And that turned into why are we going to Idaho? Why don't we just drive around and find out where we want to be instead of just picking a place and going there since we'll be mobile anyway. And yeah, that turned into all of this. <laughs> Last Last question. When you guys finally, not last question, but just talking about like you're finding your spot. Uh, yeah. When you guys finally find your spot, are you going to have to find a, find a regular job? Or are you going to do like, are you going to start a handyman business? Or are you going to just do like 12 different side hustles and see what takes off? Or what do you? Whatever happens, whatever needs to be done, like is, is kind of what I'm, okay. I'm willing to do whatever I got to do. Um, I'm building, I, like I have my podcast and, and my YouTube channel and, and all of that stuff. And I'm building, um, online sales of different things. I've, I'm look, I'm doing some, um, white labeling and, and some products of my own and, um, got something in the works with, uh, like a silversmith and might be doing some stuff with silver and, mm. uh, yeah. And I, uh, talking to a guy about, uh, uh, completely off-grid mobile uh, laser etching setup that uh, that you can just kind of run wherever you're at, not have to be grid tied to do it, and then doing sure. kind of laser etching stuff on the side. I do knife sharpening, and uh, we do all sorts of crafts and shit, like all sorts That's of cool. stuff. <laughs> like, we just learned everything that we could. And uh, so I have those skills, and then I have also have all the the homesteading skills that yeah. I can provide for other people and trade for food or a place to park my camper or whatever. Um, I got marketable skills. I've been in maintenance and uh, stuff like that it, for a job job for, I mean, the last decade. So I know electrical and carpentry and plumbing and all that fun stuff. And so, yeah, just use whatever skills I can. And if I can do that for myself, absolutely fantastic. I guess I, I got to get a job for someone else, then it is what it is. Like I, you'll I be work. way too busy with all your little projects to 
to actually have a job. So don't even don't even bother. I'll just, I'll just get my sugar mama to keep keep working and, and yeah, why not do my thing. <laughs> uh, she's been she's been with her employer for like seven seventeen years or something like that, and I changed wow. jobs every like three to five. So like, she's she's much more stable than I am. We already know this. That's that's totally fine. That's why when I when I found you early on, well, early on in me figuring out my thing. I was like, this guy's like me. <laughs> I've had so many jobs too, but I mean, you take the you take the award on that one. You you've had way more than I have, but you know, just like I've learned yeah, this really, thing well enough. Moving on. <laughs> I did that episode where I was like talking about all the jobs I had. I got done. I remembered like five other things after I was done. I was like, like I forgot a bunch. <laughs> That'll happen when you've had thirty or whatever. Well, yeah, and in, in completely different directions too. Like right. I've never, never been bored unless I get bored. That's the problem. And right. then I got to go learn something new. Sure. So what's the best part about homesteading? Uh, yeah. Just being able to say screw off and uh, <laughs> like, I don't need, I don't need you for any, for, for much like building. I have to say build a uh, homesteading and building a community, uh, to tie together so you can just tell everybody to F off and uh, I don't need anything from you. Like, oh, we, we're we not going to let you have a job if you don't have uh, certain medical procedures. Uh, so, well, I don't care because I can feed myself and I can, I can get uh, propane from the guy down the road who has a tank that if I uh, let his chickens out for or if I process a batch of chickens, he'll, he'll give me a, a, you know, a few grill tanks full of propane or whatever. Uh, just being able to, if you have to say, say F off, like, I don't have to do anything you, I don't want to. So freedom sure. and autonomy, autonomy. So are you saying that homesteaders like naturally flock together and create their own communities? Like, it's not like, we're homesteaders. Let's create a community that it just happens that way, like on its own. So like, you know, you, uh, you know, bartering with, uh, with your neighbor to, to get the things that you both need. Um, naturally, I don't know about naturally. I think you have to work at it. You have to, um, you have to seek out what you need. Like, I don't just magically expect to be working here on my farm and need, uh, a source for beef and some dude just roll up and be like, Hey man, I heard you thinking about needing some beef. Like I have to be proactive at it. Like, well, it's not like, uh, it's not like, uh, what the hell is the, the term? Like, you know, I'm going to physically manifest it because I'm thinking <laughs> about it. It's like, uh, no. I mean, like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta work at it, but you know, it's just right. like a natural, natural, like coming together. Like, Right. I you mean, know, my, my beef swapping guy tomato and, seeds or something. Well, yeah. I mean, my beef, my, uh, my, the first pork guy I used here introduced me to, uh, a different, to a butcher who introduced me to a different pork guy who ended up putting windows in my house. So <laughs> like it, it naturally expands once you get into the community. Um, 
people know other people because they needed whatever. And then it's building that social capital uh, between contacts that they understand what you can provide. And then you can also reach out to them and tell them what you need and they can send that out into their webs also. So I think that that's how it naturally develops. It's like mycelium and mushroom and fungi networks. Uh, But uh, you have to, you have to work into it. I think, I think you have to provide value. Like I had customers Here's an example. So I had customers that would buy stuff from me that were just customers. Like they were from the city or whatever. They just bought eggs or chicken or whatever. So I didn't know much about them. Like I knew enough to sell stuff to them. Like I knew how much they needed and, you know, like when they would order and how I would market to them, what would appeal to them if they were a fitness person or a all natural person or whatever. But I didn't need to know their skill sets or stuff like that. But the guy down the road who I'm bartering with, like, I know everything about him. Like I know sure. what he does. I know who he knows. Like I, I make mental notes of that. And so that fosters that relationship. So if he ever needs anything, but he's sending me customers, I'm sending him customers. We're bartering for knowledge and, and uh, contacts. So that just grows that. So yeah, that's, that's where you find that, that growth is people that you are customers of too. Like when I would go to somebody's farm to say, expand my rabbitry, like I wanted to add new bloodlines to my rabbitry. So I would barter barter some rabbits or buy rabbits from somebody and I would go and I would just talk to them. And like, oh, yeah. what are you doing here? Oh, I'm doing rabbits, but I'm doing pigs. I got pigs out back, you know? So I talked to them about pigs. Well, where'd you get your pigs? Well, I breed my own pigs. Well, now I got a pig guy if I need it. Like if I need it sometime mm-hmm. or somebody asks me, you know, anybody that sells pigs, but you have to work into that. You have to provide some value in that. So initially my value was I was buying product from them. So that, that like solidifies that relationship. I can't just call them up and be like, Hey, let's network. Let's be homestead buddies. <laughs> like build it. Right, 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 right. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like through your own interests, you find other people and uh, connect with them. And it's just like, just how making friends works. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I look at it as like, uh, like a sales funnel almost like I'm willing to talk to anybody willing, like willing and open to sell. Like everybody's money's green, man. Like I don't care mm-hmm. if you're right wing, left wing, no wing, I don't care if you want to buy my shit and you have money, like it's, it's all that matters. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, as I get to know you, if you are going to provide me other sales leads or whatever, like there's this, this narrowing funnel that comes down to the bottom people are people that I feel I trust. Like I, I value their quality of work or <clears throat> their, their value as a customer that I would never really want to lose them. Like I'm always willing to fire customers too. That was something I learned a long time ago. Uh, some customers just aren't, aren't worth, aren't worth it. Like you have to bend over backwards for them. You have to, they're always complaining. Nothing's right. They always want something extra. Like sometimes it's just not worth the money you're making off them and you need to fire that customer. So but there are customers that provide such a value for other reasons, contact wise or whatever, sure. that they're like a, 
never let go. So that's that that networking funnel. Once you get right. down there, if you're a if you're one of those contacts in that never let go, I will foster that relationship beyond anything. Do anything for you. That's just who I am. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So you decided to shift gears and shut down your homestead. You like when are you leaving your job? Is it like dependent on selling your house? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're just like every week, like if you show up, like, oh, I guess Brian's here today. Like, I guess he's working another week. Pretty much. <laughs> like, I, we're going to Tennessee for two weeks here. Um, I don't know when this will be aired, but we're like, uh, so right now, what are we on May? Like, yesterday was my anniversary. 22nd. Yeah, it's May 22nd. So yesterday was my anniversary. It was May 21st. And uh, uh, so we're leaving for self-reliance June 7th. Um, okay. And we're gone for two weeks. So I didn't, I put a PTO request in and crossed off request and just put the dates in that I wasn't going to be at work. And, um, yeah, like, I mean, can they really say no? Because, uh, I mean, we, we're, we're so shorthanded right now. Uh, we've been right. so shorthanded that it's just like, and, and I'm to a point where, you know, if something, if they were like, no, I would still go and when i got back i would just find something else short term like when the gas station's hiring at 15 dollars an hour like i can I, I can find a job i got enough i have enough skill set that everyone around here is hiring that i can go find a job if i need to for a couple months or whatever so i'm not really worried it, i'm not worried about losing my job i don't get any benefits from them i just it's a paycheck is all it is sure it's, so if they want me to come back, I make decent money. I'll come back and work for them. But it's that's all it is. It's just an exchange. I'm not trying to build a career there. It's uh, I'm giving you my time for a paycheck, is it? Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel, too. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it sucks to feel that way. But at the same time, like, this is how I feel. Like, I don't I don't know what you want me to do. I'm just not invested in it like i was never meant to work for someone else either like i i end up having a really hard time dealing with um dealing with dealing with consequences of other people's poor decisions sure. um so i i get a really bad attitude after a while like i can i can deal with that uh while i'm learning a skill and it's it's benefiting me to deal with that kind of crap uh yeah. because i'm learning a new skill i'm 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 stimulated i'm you know, motivated. And, and then once I've mastered the skill and it becomes like just every day, same grind of doing the same thing, dealing with those consequences, other people's actions now don't have that benefit of me acquiring a new skill. And then I get all pissed off and bored and <laughs> want to leave. <laughs> so that's, that's my work history in a nutshell. <laughs> the other thing that makes me mad and because this is the longest job I've ever held, uh, it hasn't really happened anywhere else, but like, the people that you work with, like, you just need more variety also. Like, okay, this thing happened. I bet he's going to tell one of 25 stories that I've heard eight times already. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. I've heard this story so many times. I know exactly <laughs> what he's going to say. And I'll try to cut him off ahead of time. Like, oh, yeah, that's kind of like that time. that And then he'll yeah. be like, and then he'll go and tell the story again. Like, I haven't heard it before. Like, mm. I, Mine's so bad. I know. 
I'm a I'm a service tech and I work by myself, but the damn store managers are the same way. So I service the same handful of stores, you know, 20 to 30 different stores. So once you go to them enough, you get that same thing. And man, I deal with like the the lowest level of employees. Uh, like I'm dealing with gas station attendants trying to ask them technical questions to help me do my job and yeah it's like like, uh, the dude walking into uh like in idiocracy like walking into costco like literally i love you (laughs) literally no like literally ben walked into a gas station and you know in idiocracy uh when he goes to the hospital and the girl's like looking at the thing looking at all the pictures like I've, I've literally met that person as a gas station attendant and I had to try to get information out of them on what was going oh, on, no. why I was there to fix this mystery issue. Yeah. <laughs> Just hit the question mark button. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Good. Do you have, do you, do you have a manager call number that I could call your, your boss and maybe phone? Phone? <laughs> Yeah. And then the general public, I I will guarantee you there is no smart test to get a driver's license. Not at all. Not at all. Just the bare minimum. Just like breathe. I mean, if I think if you can breathe, you can get one in the state of Minnesota. That is true. The it is weird driving uh in different places. And we're completely off on a tangent, but that's totally fine. Uh it is weird driving different places, like here is so much more relaxed. Like I was on the phone with my mom shortly after he moved here. And I was like, Oh man, that guy cut me off. And my mom's like, did you honk? I didn't hear you honk. <laughs> and I'm like, it's not a big deal that he cut me off. Like I'm not mad about it or whatever. Like people, people drive like dicks in the cities because cities are full of dicks. And yeah. uh, that's just not how it is here. So it was great. We were, we were coming in, we went out to Seattle last fall and our trailers are our kind of maiden voyage and we we're coming into montana from north dakota and the um the trooper was just like sitting at the border waving to people coming in <laughs> like every everybody that came down the highway there were like a little clusters of cars and so there's a couple in front of me and he's just sitting in the median like facing north dakota and so you're coming into the state and everybody that went by you could just see him just wave that's funny and I'm like, what a great state. The cops welcome you at the border. <laughs> I think North Dakota Highway Patrol can be dicks. And I think it's uh, Idaho cops can be dicks. Like if you go, like I can't remember off the top of my head what the speed limit on 990 is uh, through Idaho. But like if you're going, if they catch you going like two miles an hour over, I think they'll pull you over or something. But like, yeah, we, were well under, we were well under in Montana because we were on some like back road that was barely yeah. wide enough for uh, the trailer and it was like 40 mile an hour winds. So uh, we were well under make the 80 mile an hour speed limit. <laughs> it used to be that Montana had no speed limit. Yeah. And uh, that changed probably, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. But one, one of my wife's uh, like uncles, I think, uh, every time I see him, they still have a no speed limit in Montana. Like, nope, Pat, at, uh, that that hasn't been that way in like fifteen years. I'm like, <laughs> every time I see him, like, I remember yeah. you, you could go as fast as you want. Yep, <laughs> yep. That was that was before I moved there. 
definitely before I moved there. But uh, <laughs> wrapping up here, what would you tell people that want to get started? Do it. Go for it. Raise something, kill it, eat it, and um, <laughs> and you'll uh, you'll you'll appreciate it. Like uh, grow something in the ground, and you don't have to have thirty five acres. You don't have to have five acres. You can do it in a half an acre. Uh, do something. Do something to make yourself a little less dependent, um, a little less uh, a little less worried about shit, and kind of be able to to de stress your life and uh, know that at least at least you can go out and eat that egg or at least you know you, you got one last meal i mean as as uh, as uh as nihilistic as that is you know everybody says well i wonder if i'm gonna eat tomorrow well i can look outside and i got you know out the window right now i got seven chickens up there that i can count real quick that i know i'm gonna eat for the next seven days at least so and yeah. depending on how I manage them, uh, probably a lot longer than that. So. Sure, stretch it out. The so, uh, you don't even need a half an acre. I just interviewed uh, a lady uh, growing food out of her apartment. Like she she makes enough salad, uh, like lettuce, tomatoes, and I think peppers uh, to make like two or three salads a week. Just oh, a couple, yeah, couple I mean, of pots that, out of her balcony. Yeah. I had I had a four a two by four uh, vertical hydro garden in my kitchen that you could feed a family of four uh, all the greens they want just in a two by four footprint. Now it was. You have like, a a video on that? Uh, I don't, but I have a playlist uh, that I built it from. <laughs> was uh, that was uh, it was Jack uh, it was Jack Spierko's from uh, Survival Podcast. It was his original. Uh, vertical hydroponic garden that he built for the cracky uh, one. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it was a uh, flood and drain. It was the one he took to um, mother earth news, mother's oh, new okay. convention that he, that he kind of built and then built again there did the demonstration. Sure. Uh, he's changed it into like a seed starting system, but I built okay. it before he changed it. And then I also ended up building two complete microgreen systems with the same concept that we use to sell microgreens at uh, farmer's markets. So nice. got, to, got a bunch of hydro experience too in there. But yeah, you can do that in a in an apartment or in a house or in a basement or in, an, in a spare bedroom and provide all your greens in a two by four spot. Easy. Awesome. Yeah. What... <laughs> What do you want to wrap up on that? Uh, like you want to, is there something that you want to cover before we, we go into extras in the post show? Um, I don't know. Check out my podcast. Uh, it's uh, growing that it's, uh, I do, uh, a half hour ish every morning. Uh, it's, uh, Monday through Friday, 6am. I do it live on all sorts of streaming platforms. I think there's nine of them now. So all of the normal YouTube odyssey, uh, now on my telegram chat, I, uh, I stream live there, um, do everything. Like I've talked, I've, I'm kind of in a transitional phase right now, trying to figure out which direction I want to go with the podcast, but I kind of, in the first, I'm at, I don't know, 120 episodes. And I, I kind of went over everything we did on the farm, different, uh, different uh, all the different ventures and uh, revenue streams and monetization and right through that and then kind of into the conversion of the camper and now i'm just trying to figure out what i want to talk about i might go back over some stuff and go in depth or 
if we get to hit the road, that'll be uh, easy content. That's just uh, what did you do today? <laughs> but uh, you can start sabotaging yourself. Like we got a flat tire. Yeah. No. No. I could just pretend, and I'm I'm good with that. That's so, true. But that's uh, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I got going on now. It's it's really weird. Um, it's really weird scaling back, and like you said uh, when I was mentioning the stuff we did, like how much it was, and now that we're down to just like a dozen free range chickens that we throw food to, and it takes twenty minutes a day or twenty seconds a day, not even twenty minutes, but uh, yeah, it's it's amazing how much time you can put into content creation and and different stuff like that, and why why I didn't do that the whole time was because I was so busy and uh-huh. and and internet too like we finally got decent internet when we went when we moved into the trailer we we explored mobile options and uh kind of went down that route and realized it's about eight times faster than the home internet we've had the whole time we were here so there would have been no live streaming on our internet from our house <laughs> no i i can barely do it here and i don't even have that bad of internet i don't know why my stuff goes out every now and then but uh yeah, I'll have links to all your stuff in the show notes, and I appreciate you being yeah. here today. Yeah, no problem, man. I, I appreciate it. Uh, uh, it's been fun talking and uh, just kind of bullshit about everything that got going yeah. on. Yeah, you keep working hard, and I'm just going to keep copying you. So just keep, <laughs> yeah. I just figured out I, I blazed those paths and I figured yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Well, hey, we'll uh, we'll talk to you later. Awesome interview. Brian's got tons of knowledge, experience, and drive to be really valuable to everyone he meets. I hope to also be as valuable someday. Thanks for watching, everyone. Leave a comment, like, subscribe, and most importantly, share this video. Check out our website, farmhoplife.com. Sign up for our email list there to be notified when new videos, interviews, and podcasts are available. If you could be censored for saying something, couldn't you also be censored for not saying something? Ever think about that? So let's stay in touch. Send me a message, farmhoplife.com contact, or... Email me anytime, matt at farmhoplife.com. It all ends up in the same spot. I'm always looking for new people to interview, so if you want to come on to talk about homesteading, farming, food security, homeschooling, regenerative agriculture, alternative building methods, just go to farmhoplife.com slash guest. Go feed yourself.